Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mo and Friends Sports Podcast. Today, we welcome Eric back uh, to the show, talking basketball, soccer, and a lot more. Eric, welcome back, man. Hey, Mo, it's good to be back again. Um, how have you been, mate? Yeah, good, good. Been enjoying the end of the um, end of the season for the for the NBA, and it's been it's been exciting actually. It's been a good couple of weeks. Awesome. So we'll get we'll get into that a bit later. Let's first kick off with some college hoops, and obviously the stage is set for uh, the final four, and pretty much nearly all the favorites um, are eliminated now. Eric, so Duke lost, North Carolina lost in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, Gonzaga lost to Texas Tech uh, in the Elite Eight and Kentucky lost to Auburn. So, you know, now that it's set and obviously the heavy favorites, Duke, uh, couldn't make it through with that great, uh, you know, rookie class or freshman class, uh, as they call it. Uh, What were your general impressions uh, of the Duke team and then specifically Zion and uh, his, uh, I guess, the translation of his game to the NBA level? Yeah, I I have to admit... I don't get a lot of time to jump in and watch a huge amount of college basketball, and but I did I did um, make sure that I watched that last Duke game because uh, I've watched highlights of Zion, but you can't really sort of gauge what somebody's talents like um, just watching the highlights. But the thing that sort of jumped out to me was that I think you had one team in Duke that just had ridiculous levels of talent. But then they were playing against a team in Michigan State where they had a bit more of a well-oiled machine. They were they functioned better as a team. So it felt like in spots that the Duke players were trying to go ISO instead of playing as a really coherent team. And that's really probably they just need a bit more experience playing together um, more than anything else. I think this kind of culture of one and done and, and Duke and Kentucky as well going down that path, I think that it makes it difficult to to build that kind of team culture. Uh, but with Zion is, I, I'm still struggling to nail down where I would play him in a modern NBA team because you know, he's so big and he's so athletic, but he's not that tall and he doesn't really shoot mid-range shots. So... I sort of I look at it and think it, it's almost like you have to think not only where does he fit, but you have to think really carefully about what kind of pieces you stick around him. Because if he's got a team where there's no three-point shooting or there's no other people on that team that are a real scoring threat, then you can just kind of block up the paint with players and it's it's going to slow him down a fair bit. So I think with him, he could be fantastic, but I think you need the right pieces around him. Yeah, mate, just to go back on the whole team dynamics, and I couldn't agree with you more, especially when you look at Michigan State and the job Izzo does with them. He's, he's a fantastic coach. And they only had one rookie or freshman on their starting five. Everyone else was <clears throat> was either a sophomore, a junior, or a senior, right? And it's in these big moments where, you know, things don't go your way. And look, Duke could have lost in the Sweet 16 and before it, right? I mean, they just made it through by the skin of their teeth a couple of times. And when you're coming up against a team that's really well run, have the the luxury of playing with each other for so many years, it just comes out. They're a bit calmer. They still run their sets when when the game gets tight. They didn't choke. Yeah. I mean, at one stage, Duke hit a three. I think RJ Barrett hit it, and you thought that was it. Like they went up by, I think, six points. But Michigan went straight back down, and they hit a three themselves. So, you know, absolutely 
you know, calm under pressure. They knew what to do in the situation and, and it showed as compared to Duke's freshmen who, you know, as talented as they are, you, you can't you can't uh, sort of buy that type of experience, right? You have to go through it to know what to do and they just couldn't get it done. Yeah, there were a couple of shots there. I, I remember watching Zion shoot a three where I think he was just getting tired. Like that's the other thing that I look at him and think is that yes. maybe he's a bit too heavy to play at NBA pace and he's going to have to take a bit of weight off. But he kind of looked tired and the team sort of weren't giving him options and then he just jacked up a three where there wasn't the, it wasn't, the shot wasn't there. But he sort of he made a panic snap judgment and, and sent the ball up. And I was looking at that thinking a little bit more experience or a little bit more cohesive as a team, that shot never happens. And just the pace of moving up and down the floor and him being that heavy, I think from a physical standpoint, the only question I have around Zion is, are you too heavy to move up and down the floor? And he's probably going to be okay, but will you have to restrict his minutes? Like, Is he going to be a like a 30-minute type player because of just how heavy he is? But he's, I saw him like accidentally bump into a few people and they look like they were in pain afterwards. And you just look at it and think, this guy physically is a wrecking ball. There was, there was one play where him and his man were, were watching and they just bumped into each other. And the other guy stumbled and Zion just didn't even feel it. So I think physically he could be really impactful, but I do have concerns he can do that for a full game. Yeah, and look, he can lose and he probably will uh, shred a bit he will lose some weight um just as you said to be more, more mobile and be able to move better at the next level uh, the flip side to that is will it take away from his game and what he's able to do the thing is he doesn't have the height to compensate for the loss of i guess strength or, or weight or whatever you want to call it because he's just so powerful and and athletic with his current size so the idea is one, will it translate? And two, like the question really more for me is, Eric, is he a number one pick, right? No one is saying Zion can't play at NBA level. I, I genuinely think he can and he will be a really good player. But he's sort of moved from a good player to watch at the start of the season and he's become now a consensus first, uh, you know, number one pick. And it's a testament to... First of all, like playing, you know, being at that size and playing in college, you are going to get all these um, offensive rebounds. You are going to have these putbacks and these alley-oops and these dunks, which which really form the most of his points. He does still have a, he's got a decent shot from the outside. It's not too bad from the three-point line. But if he gets a bit fatigued and I'm assuming his conditioning will improve, it, that shot does fall off. But other than that, I just don't see the skill set that you saw with an Anthony Davis or a Carl Anthony Towns that people looked at him, even though they're a bit skinnier, they said, this will translate at the next level. And for me, I think the hype and the way he plays with that very high intensity and energy, which is fantastic, um, has sort of uh, taken him to that number one pick, which I don't entirely agree with. Yeah, it's kind of the first almost social media pick where a guy's been pushed so far up because he just looks spectacular. Like it's, there's no doubt when you look at it that as a physical specimen, he's incredible. But I've got the same feeling as well. I look at him and think if you don't have the right pieces, like if I, if I go down my fantasy lane and the Knicks get KD, Kyrie and the number one pick, that can probably work because you've got so much firepower around him. But if he ended up being 
say traded um, to to the Pelicans, for instance, to get AD. Like if that if that happened, this is like these are all of my like scenarios that I sort of sit there and daydream about. But if he ended up out at the at the Pelicans and he didn't have those pieces around him and he's forced to carry the team, I don't know if he's going to be like if he's I'm with you. I don't know if that skill set is quite there. I think people are stunned by how athletic he is, but there's some big guys in the NBA who are going to make that more more, more difficult, and the pace is going to be quicker. And to me, it's it, he's coming out as this consensus number one pick. But I think a lot of that is is the hype, and he'll sell tickets as well. Like I've got no doubt you're going to pack out arenas if you get Zion. Like the the amount of focus there was on on that Duke game. Like I was messaging you on the train where I was sitting there watching it on my phone. There were four people on my train carriage who were sitting there watching that Duke game. And that that never happens. I'm usually That's the crazy, only person yeah. watching basketball on the college, train. College whereas, Australia. Yeah. And it's it's like it's college ball. It's not even the NBA. And he's just got the like people are fascinated with him. So it's it's kind of like I, f- I feel that he's becoming the number one pick because people are looking at it thinking this guy's going to be great for business. And it, it is a consideration, but whether that's the guy who's going to t- like become the foundation for a championship team, I'm not 100% sold yet. I'm with you, mate. And let's see how it translates. I mean, they do have their, their pre-draft, uh, I don't know, what do they call it, a combine? I mean, I know in the combine, NFL, yeah, the, yeah. the combine, so we'll see some of his numbers there. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to <laughs> to seeing what those numbers look you like. You know, look, I mean, I don't think much will change. People who have him going number one, and it's almost like if you're the team that doesn't take him, it's going to stick with you forever that you oh, are yeah. focused on Zion. Whereas if you yeah. take him and if it doesn't work out as well. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like if you're If you're the GM that passes on Zion and he does turn into what everybody said, you, you're done. <laughs> like everybody will think you're an idiot. But if you get him and then say, because he, he's heavy, I've, I'm also, I wonder if he gets through his whole career without an injury. Like to me, it's a miracle, for instance, that Shaq went so long without a major injury just because of the weight and the mm. mass. Like you look at guys like Embiid where it's a different body type, but just that, the sheer mass of the person that can cause injuries. And if he blew out an Achilles and lost his explosiveness, you're looking at a complete write-off as a, as a player. He leans so heavily on his physicality. So it's, um, yeah, he's a gamble. Absolutely. And, yeah, no, it'll be exciting. And, look, I'm looking forward to the games. Uh, the final fours will be on the weekend and then they'll play the national uh, championship the day after. So I really want Tom Izzo to win one for Michigan State and I'm hoping they get over Texas Tech in their game, Auburn, man, they've come out of nowhere really and uh, they've had a great season uh, and they've got Virginia coming up. So I'm, I'm tipping sort of a Michigan State-Auburn final. I, I really liked what I saw with Michigan State. They, they just seem really mature and a really well-oiled machine. I mean, it's going to be hard at the college level to, to put together a team that, um, that can deal with that. So I'm, I'm seeing them going through. Um, with with Virginia and, and Auburn, I'm more on the the Virginia side, but I think the the question in that one for me is going to be whether Auburn can um, stay as efficient and good on their three point shooting as they've been previously. That I think they could. You know, 
it's it's interesting when you see how prevalent the three point shot is in the NBA, and then you go and you watch some college ball, and it's there's that there's that little bit of disconnect in the way the two games are played. So it's almost like you're waiting for one team to run through with the three pointers in college ball and completely revolutionize that. But if the if they go through and they're um, you know they're pretty efficient on their three point shooting, they could they could bump Virginia out. And Virginia, I don't think, is that great uh, record wise on um, on their three point shooting. So that could end up making a difference. Awesome, looking forward to it. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Awesome, man. Let's switch tack to. Uh, European football. So the Champions League quarterfinals kick off uh, this week coming. So Wednesday, Thursday, Australian time. A couple of interesting matchups uh, to look at and I think a couple of uh, easier games, I think. But we said that during the, the round of season. All <laughs> <laughs> what happened there. So Liverpool uh, play Porto and I think, you know, all things considered, Liverpool should win that. Uh, they should go through on both legs and they should definitely win uh, the first leg. I have them winning the tie 3-1 and winning 2-0 at home uh, to kick off. You know, uh, but I think I messaged you when Real Madrid got knocked out so badly by Ajax and I like threw all my toys out the pram and I just like stopped paying attention to it because I was like, I'm, I'm done for this season. And then I went and I had a look at it the other day and I was starting to trawl through people's records and, and Liverpool's... Like since since Christmas, they've been solid. But it's been, and I think this morning they went to the top of the league. Like with a, I think Man City's got a game hand, but I think that um, no, 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 do not ruin my mornings, uh, Eric, please. So yeah. they did win. <laughs> <laughs> they um, yeah. so they beat uh, they beat Southampton three one. Yeah, in in Southampton. Um, but I think that um that game in hand's been played now, so they're all on even. Uh, they're, oh, okay. they're all on even games. Actually, I take that back. My morning has been ruined. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do have a game in hand and they are a point, a two points ahead of Man City. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so they did win, but I still hold hope because City have a game in hand. And, uh, you know, Liverpool, they sort of weathered a storm, all right. So earlier this season or earlier this year when we started the pod, they went through a bit of a phase where they were drawing a lot of games and all their goals were coming from their front three and they were getting nothing from the midfield. And then they sort of weathered uh, those draws a bit, uh, even against Munich. And then they went away to Bayern and, and they won over there in the Champions League. And then at home, they sort of steadied a bit. I mean, they're still technically, you know, with that game in hand for City, if City win it, they're, they're sort of behind uh, with five games to go. So it's really getting very, very tight. Um, but yeah, look, they weathered the storm and I think everyone knows that their focus is on the Premier League. So that might open the window a little bit for FC Porto to maybe cause an upset. But if it was another team, uh, like not Porto, I would have said, okay, they could sort of take advantage. But I just think the there's a big gulf in class and skill between Liverpool and Porto that even with their focus being on the Premier League, I still think they can win win that leg. Yeah, I'm... Even though I said the same thing with a number of picks in the last round and that blew up in my face, I, I agree with with your thinking as well. I, this is a this is a really quality team. Uh, when you have a look at like when you look at the Premier League table and you look at the, you look at the ladder and you look at the goal difference, Liverpool and Man City are 
comfortably out in front of everybody. They're scoring more goals and they're stopping a lot more than than other people. And they haven't Liverpool haven't lost a, a game in the Premier League in like going back, I think, into last year. So they've been consistent, they're scoring and they're not letting goals in. And I I just think they're a different class to Porto as well. Yeah, mate. I mean they've conceded twenty goals all season. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's really impressive. Yeah, and, and they've scored 75 as well. I mean, you compare that to Chelsea, who've also who've conceded 34 and scored only 55, right? So yeah. sometimes there's teams at the top end of the ladder, if you tend to concede a bit, if, if you're in the top end, like the top four, if you're conceding a lot, you're usually scoring a lot because that's the only way you're getting enough points to have mm. you in the top four. Um, but... In Liverpool's case, they're scoring a lot and they're conceding like you know nothing. Like that's twenty goals in thirty-three games. It's just, you know that's less than a goal a game. Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Uh, don't get me wrong, but also City are even more impressive as they have eighty-three goals scored and twenty-one against. So even that, um, if it comes down to goal difference, City have that by a fair margin. It's currently at seven seven difference, so Liverpool have a lot to make that up as well. So that these things all start coming into the picture with you know five games left, four games left. People start focusing on these little differences to see who will win, especially if it's going to come down to the to the last couple of games. Yeah, the when you have, I guess, just on a, a side note with the the Premier League ladder, I. I I just don't see Liverpool making up that goal difference. They're going to need to. They're going to need to kind of win that outright on points, unless they go out and they smash somebody by six <laughs> by six goals a couple of games in a row or something like that. I mean, look, that one they've got to they've got to take it on points. They're not going to catch that. I'm um, I'm with you, mate. And especially when you look at the upcoming fixture list, and Liverpool play Chelsea next, so it's um. They're not the sort of games where you're going to score a lot of goals. I mean, I'm not saying Liverpool can't win. They definitely can win uh, that game. But it is against Chelsea, so that's not where you're making it up. And in comparison, Man City travelled to Crystal Palace, right? I mean, Palace, they're, they're a decent team. They can put up a fight, but I think City will still get that done. And then important games for Liverpool, actually, are ones they're not even playing in. So after that... A Crystal Palace game, Man City hosts Spurs, which are sort of an up and down team. You know, you never know what you're going to get from Spurs, but they've been disappointing um, this season. And then City travelled to Old Trafford and they play United. Um, so that I'm sure that's the only time in history where Liverpool fans will be cheering for United at the top of their lungs. And I, if we beat City... If we beat City, I want Liverpool to host a parade for the Man United team in Liverpool, right? Put them on the bus and get Liverpool fans cheering us on because they uh, they definitely need that to happen. And, you know, they haven't won in decades now. And, yeah, what do you think? I think that's a fair call, that if they win it because we beat Man City, <laughs> they should give us a parade. Yeah, look, it's... Yeah, that's that's a fair call. Uh, when's the last time? When's the last time Liverpool won? I think I was one or two years old, really. Um, yeah. So we're talking twenty-eight years or something. Um, yeah, I, that blows me. I feel like they won more recently. I, I think I'm just mixing it up from their like early two thousands Champions League kind of days with Gerard and and everybody. 
um, where maybe I just imagined they were more successful than they actually were. Yeah, so they won the 89-90 season. That was the last one. So at the end of wow. this season, it'll be 29 years. Um, yeah, and, and here's to another 29 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may say so myself. But anyway, let's, um, let's not go down the path of me and Liverpool. Back on the Champions League. So have you seen Tottenham's new stadium? I haven't actually. Dude. Oh, like I've seen a picture of the outside, but I haven't seen, um, I haven't actually seen and watched any of the games or anything to see what the, the pitch and everything looks like. Amazing, yeah. Like it's a, it's a billion, billion dollar stadium or maybe billion pound. I forget how much they actually spent on it. That thing looks amazing. It's incredible. And I, and I put on the Facebook page, at least now when they lose, they lose in style. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's in a nice ground. They have this massive bar behind the goals that goes like from, corner corner flag to corner flag type thing uh you know they have uh, a gazillion different food choices all these different beers it's just state of the art everything which is what you'd expect from pretty much like the newest stadium uh you know at a big at a big club in europe so they will host their first champions league game there against manchester city so that's who their matchup is for the quarterfinals and mm. yeah look i'm tipping city uh, to take uh, that three one over the two legs, and I think you know they'll probably win one uh, nil or two one in in Tottenham, and it could get more if Tottenham start pushing late to get another goal. City can definitely carve them open, but I don't see I, I don't see Tottenham beating City um, in that quarter final. Yeah, I don't I don't see it either. Um, Tottenham, like you look at their record, and they've they've been really sketchy since um, since the post Christmas break, um, and. I don't, I don't know what's missing, but the, I just don't think they've got the, the firepower. Man City have been playing amazing and Tottenham are sort of gradually falling backwards away from the, the top two. So I'd be, I'd be really surprised if they were even, I think you may be being a bit generous as well. I think they may go down worse than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I've, I agree with you. I think it would be worse. I just always think sometimes the Champions League, especially the later knockout rounds, tend to be a bit tighter. So even with really good teams, just because it's tight, the other teams become a little bit more disciplined and then it ends up being a much lower scoring game. But you're absolutely right. I think with City's form, they can definitely win by more. And just on Tottenham, Eric, after you know earlier this year when they lost Kane and Del Alley to injury and then... I think Sun went away to participate in the Asian Cup as well. They just couldn't replace that and they really fell away. And because at one stage they were within touching distance of the top two, right? Like they were right there and thereabouts. There's only like a couple of games in it and then they just fell so far off. They're like 20 points behind now, 18 or whatever. So, you know, really disappointing uh, turnout to the season given how well they started. Yeah, they started off really good and then it's it's like you say, they they lost players and then they never really recovered from it. Um and they've been they've been losing matches to to teams like like Wolverhampton, where you just look at it and think they're I mean, they're not a terrible team, but if you're if you're aiming to be in the top two, you shouldn't be kind of losing against those guys three one. That so it's a little bit sad to see. I, I like when I see one of the the other teams kind of like 
coming up and getting competitive. Um, so for me, I felt a little bit sad to see them falling away from the, the top two and, and out of the running. Agreed, mate. But speaking of Wolverhampton, uh, Man United can't seem to beat Wolverhampton. It's no, they, they can't. I was looking at their record this morning as well, just thinking, Oh, geez, these no. all seem to have a, a solid record against the guys at the at the top of the table. Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't get easier for us. So we've got Barcelona um, return and, you know, like I want to hold hope and like I did against PSG, like I, I wrote us off. I mean, everyone who listens to the pod knows that I picked PSG to win, especially based on uh, the the performance of the first leg. But, you know, we managed to dig in and, and that sort of, uh, you know, fighting attitude came through. But if we're going to play like we have the last three games, so the two games against Wolves and the game against Watford in between, um, this is going to be very ugly very quickly. And it really shocks me because just the fluctuation, Eric, uh, within that team, like you see when they went on that run and the way a lot of the players were playing out of their skin and just really took it to another level under Solskjaer, and then it just sort of died away a little bit. And also, we have we do have a few passengers. I mean, that team's going to need a big cleanup um, in the summer. And those guys have been hanging on for way too long. But just for the purposes of this Champions League game, the only way I see us getting a result, and it is a very small percentage, but, you know, as any fan, you always have hope. Um, the only way I see us getting a result is if Pogba has one of those amazing games like the ones he's been having recently. Even the last game, he created like five chances. And it wasn't really a Pogba uh, fault per se. I mean, the, the first 20 minutes, they were they were fantastic. And then it just sort of died away after we scored that goal. But everyone else needs to pick up. I just don't know how our backline is going to handle Messi and Suarez. I mean, that's what scares me more than anything. And yeah, if they play like they played before, I mean, look for a smashing uh, over two legs, I think they'll they'll they can easily put four goals past us, and it just again goes back to my point last week about I really think they shouldn't have given uh, Solskjaer the contract when they did. There was like there was no need for us to rush in, and the team hasn't responded to it. Uh, you know, of of Solskjaer getting that long term contract, you'd think they'd be more comfortable. They've been happy with him since he took over. But their play hasn't reflected it the last three games. And I really think they should have just waited it out and seen what happened with Maurizio at uh, Spurs, especially if Spurs get bundled out by City quite comfortably and then they keep their free fall in the champion in the Premier League table where they end up finishing fourth. And I think Pochettino is like, I've had enough. And I think we could have snatched him away. But yeah, like um, I just, I worry that it was a bit, hasty and premature appointment and we're going to get stuck again with a coach for a couple of years who just can't get us to the next level so yeah let's see what happens there yeah how 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 long did they give him on his contract three years so not not too bad and uh, you know like I told Jensen last week uh, they're only paying him seven million pounds a year which is nothing compared to the 18 million they were giving Mourinho right and the cynic in me thinks that also played a part in it where the Glazers and Ed Woodward are sort of looking at the money they've been spending on coaches and how we keep paying coaches many years after they've left because they get fired so early and they're still like David Moyes was on the books until last year. 
yeah. And then, you know, they would have, <laughs> the, the only one that they sort of got away with, because I think Van Gaal, they just didn't renew his contract. And then obviously Mourinho, who was getting paid 18 mil, and think, I think he had another three years to go. So he's on the books. And they just didn't yeah. match on, you know, Solskjaer would be, would take sort of a, a home a hometown discount, <laughs> right? And some, something that they ask a lot of NBA players to do or NFL players to do to, for the salary cap purposes. So he took a hometown discount. He's on seven million, and they thought, given how much they're paying Mourinho still, um, financially it works out for them. And three years isn't too bad. So at least it's one contract where we're not sort of stuck too far into the future. So you can make changes, but you know, really starting to get impatient with the leadership uh, down at United there and uh, how they're running the football department. Yeah, it's it's odd because man, you haven't really been that successful for a while. It's just it's odd to. It's odd to see, um, and the like. Their recent form hasn't been great. They got those two losses against the Wolves. Um, they lost to they lost to Arsenal recently, didn't they? Yep. So there's there's a and it's one of those ones where you look at it and you know that the the finances are there to get the right team that you're after. It's a fantastic platform for for players to go from a marketing perspective to build their own brands. There's a whole history going on there as well. It's just odd to see a team like that. It was. It's like when when the Lakers didn't have any good players. Like you, you look at it and you just think that's weird. Like why why aren't there good players there? That's a that's one of those really premier clubs, not just in football but in all sports globally. So it it's kind of it, it's like with the the NBA is a nicer place when the Lakers are doing well. I feel the same thing with the Premier League that I I enjoy it more when when Man U's doing well. Yeah, mate. Fingers crossed. They make some much needed changes uh, over the next season, and yeah, just get some new blood and play the United way. Last game of the round is Ajax at Juve, and we saw what happened the last time we wrote Ajax off and how yeah. they, they really took it to to your guys <laughs> at in Madrid. But man, man I, you know. I'm not one to go for smokies and stuff. I sort of look at what's in front of me and just going by probabilities, I see what makes more sense. And Juve are the better team. They're the more seasoned team. Again, comes back to having Ronaldo and the things he does and how he, you know, pretty much single-handedly got him out of the out of the weeds with Madrid, Atletico Madrid. With yeah, his, I mean, he no, did. They looked like they were done. They did, absolutely. And then, he, you know, made two amazing headers. And then, uh, you know, I think the penalty uh, at the end there. Again, I don't think it'll be anywhere near as dramatic against Ajax. And I do expect Juve to go through. Yeah, I'm expecting that as well. I think it might be... I, I know that he picked up a, like a minor injury playing for Portugal and he's they haven't been playing Ronaldo the last couple of games um, in the Serie A. Um, so I, and I'm not a hundred percent sure whether they've said he's definitely going to play. If he doesn't, I think that could be that could shake things up a little bit. But um, if he's on and he's healthy, you know, Ronaldo is going to do what what he wanted, what Ronaldo is going to do. So he's. I think it's a bit of a testament to how good a player he is that he left Real Madrid and went to Juventus, and then he's. He's kind of immediately effective once he once he lands there. So uh, and he's done that. He's done that everywhere he's been. 
I think if he comes in and he's healthy, I, I see Juve going through against Ajax as well. Yep. No, absolutely. Look, he is in doubt. They have a young new striker in Moise Keane uh, who's been playing amazing and scoring a lot of goals for them. And they still have their usual uh, you know, seasoned players there. So against a team like Ajax, I still think they should be able to hold them well. And even like Dybala, Mandzukic, Spinazzola, like, I mean, they're all going to be available uh, for the Ajax game. So having these guys around um, would be a help, even though uh, Chiellini uh, is going to be injured. And Ajax are going to play freely. They're going to play freely and they're going to score uh, goals, I think, if they just you know, don't play within themselves and just go for it because they've got nothing to lose. They know they're the, they're the underdogs. And you know, I think if they play um, with that freedom and they take it to Juve, especially if Ronaldo's out, they can maybe shake it up a bit, but I still think Juve should, uh, should go through. So what, what do we have then? We have uh, Liverpool playing Barcelona in the semis and then City playing Juve in the other semi. I think that's what we've... Um, yeah, that's, that's where we've landed. Mm. All right, and then we'll, we'll do an assessment again uh, later on. All right, mate. So today we were meant to talk about the playoff matchups uh, in the NBA. However, the season has really gone down to the last two or three games. I mean, there's that many positions still that can change just based on how teams finish up the season. And so I thought that it was, we just couldn't do it um, without having a million caveats in place saying, oh, if they finish eighth and if they finish yeah. seventh and, and if they stay in fourth and don't fall to fifth, etc. So I thought we'll park that for a later date. And today we can talk about the awards for the regular season because, like I mentioned to Jensen last week, I don't think anyone's going to really change their mind with two or three games left as to who they're giving their awards to. And so I thought it's a good opportunity now, pretty much the end of the season already. It's really flown past. Uh, we can go through the awards uh, then. And I'll kick off with the Coach of the Year Award. Who do you have winning that? I had Mike Budenholzer winning that um, for, for Milwaukee. I was bouncing around in my head, um, Michael Malone and, and Nick Nurse from from Toronto, but that Milwaukee team has just been absolutely fantastic. And and outside of of Giannis, there's there's no massive other superstar there. Because there's kind of this narrative going on that you need to have this whole bunch of superstars, but the Bucks are just playing really well and cohesively. They're playing really well defensively. Um, I think he's done an amazing job with with um, uh, with the team there. And after him, you know, I kind of had Nick Nurse next um, with Toronto because you know they've got the the second best record in the East. But that the, the uh, Kawhi's taken a lot of games off, and the team hasn't really missed a beat. So it like to me, he's showing that he can be quite flexible in his approach and get the best out of like a team with a superstar or a team without a superstar on it. So um, I had uh, Budenholzer first and then then Nick Nurse coming in after him. Yeah, mate. So I had Budenholzer as well. I think he's done an amazing job and they've led from the front the whole season. You know, pretty much from the word go, they've been at the top of the Eastern Conference. They've maintained it the whole way through. They're playing great basketball and just the way they've really unlocked uh, Lopez <laughs> from that three-point line is is amazing. Like I was watching, oh man, I was watching them play the 76ers uh, yesterday 
you know, like they've got the ball at the, like I think Middleton had the ball at the top of the key or it could have been Giannis. And then Lopez is like hanging out a couple of feet behind the three-point line. Like you just, you would never see that uh, in the past, but they've recognized how they like to play and the fact that he gives them the extra rebounding, but at the same time, uh, he can give them some good offense and score those points from the outside has just, I think it's taken them, I think that's one of the main reasons it took him to another level because it opens up the key to Giannis so much. If you had another yeah. big man who did not have that three-point shot, um, defenses can sort of sag off him a bit to close up the lane uh, for Giannis coming through. And you also wouldn't be getting those extra points uh, from the outside. So, yeah, Woodenholz has done an amazing job. And just, um, I think, an honorable mention to Doc Rivers, what he's been able to do with that Clippers team, which no one had making the playoffs. They were, you know, meant to finish at the bottom end uh, of that Western Conference. And the fact that he's gone and focused on uh, coaching and they've brought in the logo to help them with the player recruitments, et cetera, I think it's really paid dividends uh, at the Clippers yeah, I think as well that they they traded away, you know, arguably their best player, and then they just kept winning. And the the other thing that I really liked about them from a culture perspective is that um, you get a lot of teams where they they get halfway through the season or two thirds of the way through the season, and they're like, oh well, we're not going to really be competitive in the playoffs. Like, let's just tank and. And the Clippers haven't done that. So they're, and they're going to lose their – they're probably going to lose their pick because um, they would only keep it if they finished outside the top eight. And they've just said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go be as competitive as we are. And it's, an, it's a great advertisement for a platform for a free agent to go and move there. Like the, you've got a team that is playing really well with an organisation that's being run really well with a good coach. Why wouldn't you go there? But my, my greatest fear for the Knicks not landing high-quality free agents is they're going to have a look at the Clippers and think, actually, that's the best place for me to go. It's, it's been yeah. well run. It's in a nice climate. It's in a big market. It, I think that um, maybe I don't have him up there in terms of coaching, but like if you're going to pick an organization to be the best organization of the year, I, for me, that's the Clippers. Yeah, and look, and you're talking about obviously them trading Tobias Harris at the deadline. And at the time, the consensus was that he's being traded away because they wanted to give up on the season, right? Like they just thought, yeah. we're going to trade away um, Tobias Harris while he's still while he's at his maximum value because they didn't really want to pay him next year. And they thought they've done well this season. So without him, I don't even think they expected to win as much as they did, Eric, and they've just kept uh, going on. And once they thought and they saw themselves in that top eight, then they decided, you know what, we're there anyway. We're not going to drop far enough to really get a lottery pick. So let's just keep going. And like you said, play playoff basketball, show someone else that we're not that far away. Like you need that star or couple of stars to really get you to the next level, but you're not so far away uh, from getting there, right? You're already in the playoffs. You're already finishing probably sixth in the West, which is no mean feat, right? And so it is actually becomes a very good uh, market uh, or destination for free agents. So, uh, you know, good good on them. I think they've done very well. Um, okay, so how about most improved player? Um, 
who do I have as most improved player? You know, there was one point in time where I was looking at um, I was looking at Lonzo at one point, like before he before he got injured, because he was. And I don't know if maybe it was the the hype associated with how bad his shot was, um, but I felt like this year I was saying to you like a couple of times where I'd be really happy if he if he came to the Knicks. Um, but then I guess with the injury and then the whole AD saga and everything um, sort of blowing things up, um, he kind of fell out of the way. Um, but the the guy for me, well, there, there are two guys for me that I really kind of like. And D'Angelo Russell, I've, I think that after leaving the Lakers, um, he's just, you know, he's become awesome. Like when he went to the Lakers, I had really high hopes for how he was going to go. Um, and then it, it just didn't kind of pan out. The, so I thought that um, he had improved quite a lot. He's an all-star now. He's been playing excellent basketball. That's the other team that like, I will cry if people decide, free agents decide to go play with D'Angelo Russell, Russell in, in Brooklyn. As, as opposed to what, Dennis Smith Jr. In, in New York, if they go to Brooklyn yeah. instead of New York? <laughs> Yeah, like that's the yeah yeah. So it's like I'll cry if like somebody says I would rather go play in Brooklyn than I would rather go play with the Knicks. But like just quietly, you look at it and you think, oh, maybe this is maybe this is a better decision. <laughs> so the um, so I thought I thought he's he's improved a lot. Um, but the the guy who I I want to so I think he's improved. The guy who I want to win is Derek Rose. Like I've just his whole kind of journey back from where he was when he was with the Cavs, you know, I'm like kind of emotionally invested in that, in that story. So I'd, I'd, I'd really love for him to win that. I don't think he will. I mean, I think Pascal Sikam from the Raptors, um, I was having a look at the odds. It looks like he might win it. But for for me, I like D'Angelo as the most improved player, but I kind of want Derek to win. Yeah, look, so I mean, obviously Rose had a really good start to the season and I think he had that 50 point game. It was like, you know, Derek Rose, amazing, etc. But for me, mate, it's, it's Pascal Siakam, right? He's just had an amazing season. And like you mentioned before with Leonard sitting out as many games as he did, and these guys kept on winning and he's just, he's just taken everything to the next level this season. He's averaging this year 17 points, as compared to a career average of 10. His total rebounds are seven as opposed to five. His assists have gone up and his free throw shooting percentage has gone up. It, it's just crazy. Like he's just come out of nowhere. He's having 30-point games, 25-plus point games, and he's really become another option for them. And, you know, if in the playoffs that team, you know, has got Kawhi Leonard, Lowry, um, Mark Gasol, obviously, and now you're adding uh, Pascal Siakam as a, and, and Ibaka. Ibaka comes off the bench and he scores 20 plus uh, for the Raptors. You know, like in many cases now, Mark is actually starting, but Ibaka off the bench is really giving them good energy and points. And I think that rotations worked well for them. And then you have Siakam and all of a sudden you have like three or four legitimate scorers on the team, people who can create their own shots. And guys who can, uh, you know, if you're resting quiet during a game, etc., you can still get points uh, from elsewhere. 
So I think he's been incredible, and I think he he should win the the most improved player. Yeah, he's been phenomenal this year, and he's a huge part of why, like we were talking about before, with like Kawhi just takes a game off and they just keep on trucking. It's just an, it's an excellent team with a good rotation, and there's there's a lot of guys who kind of turned up in Toronto for for whatever reason, and then they're just being turned into a really good cohesive. Uh, kind of unit so they're they're almost like a ragtag bunch of of a basketball team but they gel really well they're going to be a force in the playoffs no absolutely all righty sixth man of the year uh i got lou williams from the from the clippers um i think he's just been i think he's had a really solid season i think he's been really fantastic coming off the bench uh and he's one of those guys who I think um, stepped up when Tobias got traded, and I've you know how many times has he won six man of the year now? Is this is potentially his third. Tied, probably tied Jamal Crawford. Yeah, and no, I'll have to I'll have to have a look because it's I, he's just been he's been solid, and he, you know he's a guy you can trust to come off the bench. You can trust him to hit a game winning shot in the clutch. He's got a good on-court presence when he's he's out there. He's kind of a leader in that second unit, and I, I think he's done a, a really fantastic job. So he's won two second man, uh, sixth man of the year. Sorry, and that would be his third. Yes. So it's yeah. So I I mean I've got my I got my money on Lou. I think he's been doing really well. I agree, mate. I don't have much to add on that. I think he's been fantastic for them off the bench. Um, he's actually I was reading a good piece. On, on him at, at the Clippers and how when, uh, you know, Doc got him from Houston, I think that was his last destination before uh, before the Clippers, he sort of spoke to him about uh, buying into what, you know, Doc wants him to do. Um, he infamously refuses to lift weights at the gym. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and everyone can see that when you look at him. And he's just sort of got him on a bit of a, a diet plan, um, an exercise plan with some weights, et cetera. And he's really playing the role of the elder statesman now, uh, the veteran in the team and taking some of the other guards under his wing. So, you know, fantastic uh, revival for Lou. And he doesn't cost much. He's like in this, you know, 7 million range or something. So he's, uh, he's been fantastic yeah. for them. Very, very important reason as to why they're doing, uh, they're doing really well as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's really undervalued uh, when people are talking about how you construct a team and what trades you go for is that veteran leadership. Um, I think that's really important for for guys coming through. I, I think that was one of the things that was kind of missing in the culture of the Lakers before LeBron turned up was having that kind of veteran guiding guiding the young guys through helping instill the right work ethic i think it's really valuable when you get a guy like that that's experienced and level-headed and takes the the young guys under their wing um, because it helps to build that winning culture like you can't just trade a whole bunch of good players in and, and have that culture there you need guys to come in be stable in that club for um for a couple of years and then and then start to teaching the younger guys about um, how to become a professional and how to perform week to week. Absolutely. And, you know, he's averaging the most minutes he ever has in his career. He's at nearly 33 minutes a game, uh, 22 and a half points a game, 
uh, and he shoots, you know, nearly 90% from the free throw line and 36% from three. So just fantastic numbers. I mean, I mean, he's, re- I mean, this whole sixth man of the year thing, just because he's starting off the bench and that's a conversation maybe for another day, but he's still playing 32 minutes, right? Yeah. I mean, bench players, you know, as in a traditional sense bench player, you'd never, you never really get that many minutes um, on, on a court, but yeah, he, he's been fantastic. So Hopefully they they make a a good account of themselves uh, in the playoffs. Alrighty, how about uh, defensive player of the year? Um, so I had Paul George. I was looking at I was looking at Giannis as well. Uh, I'm I'm very high on Giannis at the moment, <laughs> but um, I I had Paul George as the defensive player of the year. He's been solid on steals. He's until a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't just his like his two way play has been fantastic, and I, I had him sitting at the the top of my list in terms of defensive player of the year. I think he's I think he's had a phenomenal season. It's dropped off a bit in the last couple of weeks, but kind of I guess looking at the season holistically, I kind of look at it and think this guy is the guy who I think is going to be the the defensive player of the year. So I think he's he's averaging over two steals a game. He's been doing he's been doing solid work across the um, across the board in terms of steals, and he's got a couple of blocks in there every now and then as well, which has been really solid. And also, when you look at how the team performs when he's he's on the floor, it's like defensively they they operate a lot better. So I've. I've got Chris Paul there. Sorry, not Chris Paul. Yeah. Paul, George. Paul. <laughs> Too many first names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, Don't give a kid a first name for both their names. <laughs> look, I am. I'm definitely biased towards bigs uh, when it comes to defensive uh, player of the year awards. Just their ability to, uh, you know, use their length to disrupt uh, their ability to to block shots or even alter shots. Uh, at the rim or even just stopping you from going there just because of, uh, you know, just the fact that you know they're going to rotate over to help. And for me this year, and, you know, you said earlier you were high on him. For me, it's Giannis. I, my pick is Giannis for Defensive Player of the Year. I think he's he's been incredible. And just yesterday against uh, Embiid, he had four blocks on Joel Embiid, which is no mean feat. He just, uh, he's got he's got amazing length, right? It's it's super freaky they call him the greek freak for a reason and he plays with great energy which means he rotates really well um he's always there to help when needed and he's just because of that high intensity he can always alter shots he's always disruptive got his arms uh, everywhere and yeah so for me um i don't think he'll win it and i'll tell you why in a second but i think for me he's defensive player of the year yeah i i wouldn't argue with with Giannis getting it. I mean, I was saying to you off air that, you know, that, that game just kind of sealed him in, in my head as, as the, the MVP, which I guess we'll get onto a bit later on, but the, it's, it's not just his length. It's, I don't know if I've seen somebody that has that kind of length and feet quite that fast. He, because he gets himself. It's not just he's got the length. He gets himself into positions where, uh, like the blocks that some of the blocks that he had on on Embiid, he wasn't between Embiid and the basket. He had to kind of pivot away from his guy and cover some ground and then come up over the top of him, and that's 
that's freakish athleticism. Like his ability to get into position to actually block is uh, is crazy. He's um, he is a handful. Like the the speed at which he covers ground, and it it's. It's deceptively quick how fast he's moving. I think that's just his length. It's like he's in one place and then he just appears in another place and you kind of look at it just thinking, how did you get there that quick? So he's been, his year this year has been awesome. No, absolutely. How about rookie of the year? Um, so this one is the one where I was bouncing around kind of back and forth. I mean, because the first half of the year for Luca was just ridiculous. Um, but he's, but then, then Trey Young has just had this ridiculous second half to the year. And I'm, I'm sort of leaning towards Trey a little bit in terms of, um, the rookie of the year award. He, he turns it over a little bit less than, than Luca does. And his, his percentages on shooting are a little bit higher, but this is, this is an award that I look at where it could go either way. And, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be fast, but he's had a couple of, Trey's had a couple of massive games where he's he's hit game winners and he's put on ridiculous amount of points as well. Um, so in my head, I've I've got Trey sitting there as rookie of the year at the moment. Yeah, look, it is a it is a tough one given how well Trey's played after the All Star break. For me, I'm giving it to Luca. Um, he he definitely took to the NBA a lot quicker than Trey and. Uh, again, you know, I've spoken to a few people about this and I think there's a lot of undue pressure on rookies, especially coming from the college system into the NBA system because, you know, the, the players you're playing against uh, are different, not just in level, but in maturity, strength, the court's a bit bigger, the, the three-point shot's a bit further away, uh, the sets you run are different, the number of seconds you have to, to get a shot off is different. It's, it's almost not like it's the same game sometimes. And so mm. I always think they expect too much of players coming out of college into the NBA. And there's always, you know, the odd sort of once in a generation talent who really picks it up and kills it. It's just that this year, Luca came, uh, you know, from Europe. He's been playing against men uh, for years now. And, you know, in his own words, he's saying there's a lot more spacing in the NBA. The court's a bit bigger, so it's easier to get a shot off. And he just took to it a lot quicker. And I just think he had that much momentum before Trey started playing well that he will still get the Rookie of the Year award. You know, like I mentioned, once Trey started finding his feet and, you know, saw his range and understood what he could do, he just, he's gone to another level, right? He, you know, is consistent in scoring. He's picked up his percentages and his number of points from before the All-Star break. And, you know, he's really made a good case coming towards the end of the year. And now the flip side to that argument is, well, a lot of games have become meaningless, so people aren't playing as good defense. He's not getting the rotations he otherwise would have. Uh, you know what I mean? And yeah. he, you know, um, he's just being able to score a, a lot easier as a result. So I think that's also fair, especially if you're playing against teams that are out of playoff contention that don't have much to play for. You are more likely to put up uh, better numbers. And like you said as well, he's turned the ball over you know, a lot more than Luca has. I think he has 20 plus more turnovers than Luca uh, for the season. And so uh, I think that's why Luca gets the edge. But with the way the game is being played and, you know, the emphasis on three and how hot Trey can get, I think long-term, the Trey, not because he's maybe a better all-round player than Luca. I think Luca has a 
a lot more in his bag. But just because of what is valued in the game right now, he will end up being a more valuable player than Luca. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, like, I, when I look at Giannis, because I'm I'm a fan of big men as well, is that I like that he's breaking the mold of what you need to kind of be successful. It's almost like it's one of those cliches that it's a copycat league and that all right, everybody needs three-point shooters and everybody's out there jacking up threes and trying to play the same sort of way. It's like there's a lot of teams out there who are going out with a similar set of tactics and, and I think that's part of why you're right that Trey's going to fit into what people think they need in the NBA so they'll be and they'll be willing to pay more for that but I do sometimes think if you if you took Luca and you put the you put the right pieces around him I'm interested to see what state of health Porzingis is in and see what those two look like when they combine together um, because I, I think that Trey fits the mold but potentially with the right pieces there Luca could be the one that walks away with with more championships under his belt yep no it's um at least it's become more of a conversation than what it looked like before the all-star break right I think it was it was a foregone conclusion I was sitting there and I was like man who have I seen that's as good as a rookie as this guy and I was just kind of thinking in my head maybe this is the best guy I've seen for you know a decade and then um, after the all-star break happens and I'm looking at it thinking, oh, maybe I should have just cooled my <laughs> cooled my jets a little bit mm-hmm. and watched the rest of the season out before I like stuck the crown on his head. So it's I think the I think those two are really promising rookies. I think DeAndre Ayton is a really promising rookie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's kind of it to me there's like a noticeable sort of drop before you you kind of get to him. But that that class of rookies at the top end of it, there was some fantastic talent. Absolutely, man. It's like that's a great point you raised. I was reading a I think it was on Sports Illust- oh no, five thirty eight, you know, the famous um analytics and statistics site. And they mm. said that's probably the best class of rookies um since like the early nineties or something. That top five is, you know, is up there with with the best of them. So it's really good. And again, like they are rookies this what Luca's doing was not expected, right? They didn't think they'd have to give him as many minutes as they have. They thought they were going to ease him in. Same goes for Trey, right? Like you play the expectations now. It's just so crazy on rookies. Everyone thinks everyone's going to be Magic Johnson and win Finals MVP <laughs> in your first yeah. season. Like it just doesn't happen. It was an aberration, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah, these guys, and especially Aiton, given his size and stuff, um, he's he's got great touch, super great offensive rebounder as well and uh, he's going to be fantastic just give him a couple of seasons to grow into his body yeah there's there's just too much impatience when it comes to these young guys like it's not only that people are impatient it's that the whole media circus turns on you if you're not instantly like all-star material Mm. um so like i've I looked at Lonzo when he turned up and thought, you're not a complete player, but there is some serious raw material to work with here. But you probably need a couple of years to like pull it all together, get your, sh- your shots sorted out, get a feel for how you're going to play in the, the way the league is playing today. And then, you know, three years, four years into his career, you start to hit your stride. But people are like, oh, he turned up first year, can't shoot, he's, he's going to be a scrub. 
And then I was just sitting there thinking, he's still a kid. Like he's still going to be learning really fast. You all just need to be patient and, and wait. Uh, I don't think his dad helped. Uh, his dad came out and talked a lot of smack about how he was going to be better than everybody, uh, which I think unnecessarily hampered Lonzo. But for me, he's the the kind of strongest example in recent years where I just thought everybody needs to calm down and just be patient. I agree. And I think uh, D'Angelo Russell was in a similar situation um, before he left LA. Alrighty. Now, finally, the MVP of the NBA regular season. I have Giannis. Um, I think last time we were talking about the MVP race, I, I was saying I think Harden sort of edged ahead. Um, but for me, it's Giannis. Um, one, I, I like seeing big guys. But two, he's strong on offense. He's strong on defense. His team is doing well. And he's getting the stats he's getting and he's averaging like 33 minutes or something like that as well. So he's when he's on, he's extremely dominant. The, the game against Philly the other, the other day was just astonishing. Like he just ramped it up. Like you, you looked at it and he just hit another gear. Um, there's something about that Milwaukee team where they've got this like weird kind of extra gear where they turn it on for – two, three minutes, and then they go on a 14-point run or something like that. And that's really focused around Giannis. And it's, for me, I, I get that what Harden is doing is incredible, but I also don't think there's any excuse for being quite as bad as he's been for parts of the season on the defensive end. And the other part of it is that I haven't forgotten that the, the Rockets bricked like the first quarter of the season, whereas the, the, the Bucks haven't. So I think that like constant success over the entire year, um, which I didn't think they were going to have. Like I, I thought they were going to move back in the pack, but just they've with Giannis playing the way he's been playing and, and leading the team and, and putting up all of that effort on the defensive end, I've, I've got Giannis as my MVP. Yeah, Matt, look, for many of the same reasons, uh, I agree. I think the fact that they've gone wire to wire leading the East and they just didn't have any fall off. They're going to be the only team with a 60-win season this year. And, you know, it, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, Golden State won 73 and, and they lost the finals, et cetera. But I think it, it's a different dynamic. I think the 73 is one of those wow years and usually – it's not uncommon to see teams winning 60 games, especially obviously on the top end. And the fact that they're going to be the only one with 60 games just is a testament to their consistency and how well Giannis has played as well. Mate, he's completely changed that, that setup, especially this year. He's become way more efficient. I think he's shooting 58% from the field, right? And all he needs to do, uh, Eric, is he, from the three-point line, he takes one step and he's in his layup dunk, right? It's... um. Yeah. It's just freaky to watch you have someone to yeah, do it's, that. It's and, weird. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you have you have all these other players that, which are really, like you said, complementary uh, players on that sit on the three-point line. You know, Middleton's having a great season. So is Bledsoe. Obviously, Lopez has given them stuff uh, on the outside. And you should just see him how he bullied Ben Simmons yesterday in a couple of post-ups, right? Like, you think Simmons is a big... He's a big player. Like, you know, he, he is a decent size for a, for a point guard especially, but he was no match 
to Giannis, who literally just bull- bullied him on the post and would dunk in his face. And, yeah. you know, I think a combination of, of his offensive play, his defensive play, the team's record, uh, you know, how he is as a player, etc. cetera, um, I think he should get it. You know, with James, let's not forget the first, what was it, 20 games of the season or something where they weren't playing very well, right? Yeah. And, and then... You know, obviously he he had he did ramp it up. Look, he had a he had an amazing season. You know, especially when Chris Paul was out. I mean, oh, he just went on that freaky streak um, of scoring, etc. And he sort of kept the head above water. But I think sort of success and excellence should be rewarded, and that's why I think Giannis should win. And it would be awesome if he's the first player since Olajuwon to win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. Yeah, I I also one of the things I love about him and we sort of touched on it before was that he's changing what people kind of think a guy that big can do because he's not, he's not your traditional he's not like a traditional like big center he's something slightly different and he's got that weird athleticism he's incredibly explosive for his size and he'll He'll physically go toe-to-toe with anybody in the league, but he's got that kind of blend of strength and speed that is just kind of, it's it's really rare to, to sort of see that. So he's, I think he's had an awesome season. I think that the standard that he's playing at at the moment as well is probably where he's capable of playing for the next couple of years as well. I don't think this is going to be a, a flash in the pan season where he plays really well and then it and it peters off. I think he's got a I think he's got the potential to play at this level for for a couple of years and I'm not sure how you counter it just yet. Dude, he's 24. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> 24 and he's played um, six seasons now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at the stats the other day that they were comparing how many games Embiid has played to, to Giannis and Giannis is a couple of years younger, played way more games. Um, so you, you're looking at it just thinking, okay, is this, the, is this the premier big man that we're going to see for the next kind of half decade? Absolutely, man. I think, and you know, if he can shoot the three, and for mine, if he shoots the three, just like Brooke Lopez does, that is my only standard for someone who's 211 centimetres tall with a 221 wingspan that is not meant to be a shooter. If he can shoot it at the same click as Lopez, he will be the best player in the game for the next five years. Yeah. I don't think anyone will touch him. Yeah, if if he gets a solid three-point shot, like it's done. Like it's I don't know, I don't know what you do with him. Like the only thing that you can kind of do with him at the moment is you know that his points are going to be like scored mainly kind of in the paint and around the around the bucket. If he gets range, I don't I don't know what you're going to do with him. Like I don't know how you defend that, um, who you put on him because there's there's no guy big enough to defend him that can move on the perimeter the way he does. So no. I'm just like I don't know I don't know what you do. Yeah. Someone was <laughs> I'm saying kind of hoping he does. I want to I want to see. Oh, that'd be beautiful to watch. I mean, someone was saying he's like the the perfect 2K player that you'd create um, to play with. And really it is. I mean, especially if he gets that shot, watch out, man. Awesome. Thanks for that, Eric. I think next, uh, it's not even next week. So we have a special, a special episode coming up uh, guys, where we're just going to talk about the NBA uh, playoff preview. 
and by next Thursday the the picture will be set, the regular season will be finished, and we'll record an episode to talk about those matchups. So, Eric, thanks for today. No worries, man. Thank you for having me. Anytime, mate. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Mo and Friends Sports Podcast. Please leave your comments and feedback. Really appreciate it, and we'll chat to you soon.